Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. We celebrate differences. That we, in this brand, we actually say we are different. We're not a brand that says, oh, the whole world, we're the same, kumbaya, hold hands, whatever. We come in and go like, I'm Black, you're Asian, you're a white woman, la, 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 la. So it's confronting in terms of a lot of the ideas that has been sold, right? So we say we're different. For me, being different is not the problem of the world. It's the fact that we cannot accept our differences. That's what the problem is, right? Everybody has to figure out what what you're here for and what your purpose is. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hey friends, welcome back to Breaking Beauty Podcast. I'm your co-host, Carlene Higgins, and I'm here with my other co-host, Jill Dunn. Hello, Jill. Hey, Carlene, and hey, Breaking Beauty fam. So today we welcome a very special founder, and we are talking to Sharon Shooter today. Sharon founded Oma Beauty, and that means beautiful in Igbo, which is the official language of Sharon's native Nigeria. And Jill, we knew that if there was one person we absolutely needed to speak to by the end of 2020, it had to be Sharon. This was her year. She is a powerhouse beauty entrepreneur who cut her teeth at L'Oreal and Benefit Cosmetics before starting her own brand, Oma Beauty, just in April of last year. But what really has the beauty world shooketh is the initiative that Sharon kickstarted called Pull Up for Change, which she initiated earlier this year. Yeah, it's... It's a social justice movement that Sharon started on Instagram. And really, it was in response to all of the black squares that corporations were posting in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And Sharon's going, okay, that's great, guys, but what what's next? She really issued a challenge to brands to move beyond the black squares and to have real accountability, real transparency. And she asked them to pull up and disclose the diversity within their ranks. Yeah, calling them on their shit. That's really what it was. And I think one thing you can say about Oma Beauty that's really breakthrough is that activism is really built into its DNA, just in the same way, which you're about to hear, that activism is built into Sharon's DNA. So you look at some of the product names like Stay Woke Concealer and Badass Icons Lipsticks. You know, this brand is really all about standing up for something. 
Yeah, and she, I think the tagline is like beautiful uprising. And yeah, and she says this is not multicultural beauty. This is simply beauty. And all are welcome to this beautiful tribe. Yeah, so let's talk about the bestseller for a moment. It's the Say What Foundation, $39 US, $50 in Canada. Uh, You know, another headline maker, 51 Shades, from dark brown to very fair skin. Yeah, and I think what's different about this formulation, and you're going to hear Sharon talk about it, is that there's actually six different formulations of this foundation range to mm-hmm. address different skin needs. And it's won awards like Allure's Best in Beauty for Medium Coverage Foundation and Refinery29's Innovation Awards. I'm actually wearing it today, Jill, and I will say that the the shade is pretty bang on. Um, it's described as a vibrant matte finish, and it does give you that kind of perfected, flawless quality that I really like from a matte foundation. It's interesting, though. You, you got to shake it before you use it. You pump it out, and it's very kind of watery, but very pigmented as well. So you can, you know, I use my beauty blender. You can build up the amount of coverage that you're going to get. It really evened out all of my redness. When one thing I will say, I do have quite dry skin right now. So just like with any matte foundation, right. you know, you want to up your hydration, um, use a primer if you need to, just so it doesn't start, you know, breaking up by the end of the day. So I know that last year we played with their eyeshadow palettes too from Oma Beauty and they were just amazing. No fallout, so much great pigment. We actually have an IG uh, TV video um, when I tried out the eyeshadow for the first time. So if you want to see it, you can check out our IGTV. But yeah, they're, they're fantastic. They're highly pigmented, no fallout. They're great. And oh yeah, you did that one in your car. It was quite fun to watch. (laughs) And so in today's episode, you know, Sharon has so much to say, so we're going to get right to it. So Sharon is reflecting on the pull up for change movement nearly six months on, including the one skincare brand who has pleasantly surprised her. We'll also shine a light on the cause that she's advocating for right now with advice on how to tap into your own big Sharon energy in your life. I mean, this was like listening to a TED talk, you guys. I was so so motivated. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking. But before we get to all of that, she's going to reveal the origin story behind Oma Beauty. Here she is, Sharon Shooter. And now a word from our show partner, Hum Nutrition. So Hum creates vitamins for skin, body, and mood. You guys might've seen them all over Instagram. They're brightly colored bottles. That's definitely what caught my attention first. So Hum, they use all natural, clinically proven ingredients that are highly absorbable, non-GMO, and free from common allergens like gluten and soy. Plus, they're all sustainably sourced. So I took a brief quiz on their website and I received my personalized recommendations delivered right to my door. So they sent me three different types of vitamins. One is the Ripped Rooster, and that one's all about revving up metabolism. I also got Here Comes the Sun, so that's my daily dose of vitamin D, so important going into winter. And my favorite is the daily cleanse. Mind you, all of these say it takes about four to six weeks to see full results. But so far what I've noticed with this, and I think it's all thanks to the main ingredient, milk thistle, is that my hormonal breakout seems to have calmed down. So that is a win in my book. And I think that milk thistle really is thought to reduce damage to the liver from free radicals. And so that means happy skin. So the great news is that Hum Nutrition has a special offer just for Breaking Beauty listeners to help boost your well-being in the ways that you need it most 
Take their quick quiz and get individualized product recommendations from their team of registered dietitians to help bring your skin, body, hormones, and mood into balance with Hum Nutrition. Use our code BEAUTY and get 15% off your first order of $29 or more. Plus, with the flexible subscription options and chic packaging, it's insanely easy to stay on top of your daily dosage. That's humnutrition.com and use code BEAUTY for 15% off your first order. We'll link to that offer on our blog and in our show notes. Now back to today's guest. So tell us, Sharon, um, what was your life like growing up in Nigeria? Hi, Leo. That's Sharon's dog, everybody. He's he's joining us too. <laughs> yes. Sorry, go on. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so my life in Nigeria growing up, I think it was beautiful. You know, um, it was really beautiful because, you know, I always joke about it. Like, I didn't realize I was different until I left home. You know, because back home, you're just another person. So I was weird. I was the outspoken kid. I was the one who got beat up a lot because I always would enjoy fighting with boys because I was just very outspoken and did not have a filter. I grew up in a blended family. So we were a big family. Um, Nigeria is very, we, we're tribal, right? We're part of different tribes that make up the whole country. So we're very family orientated. You know, like you have a lot of cousins. You guys go home, you go back to your village. Your village is your ancestral home. I really enjoyed my upbringing in Nigeria because it was that, um, it was a very beautiful one. It was very connected to nature. Yeah. Whilst being, I mean, I grew up in a concrete jungle. I grew up in the city, but you always had this connection in terms of always going back home, always going back to nature, um, spending time with my grandmother, going to a farm, you know, and just having those things, honing my business skills because back home, they don't care. Like my grandma don't care if you're a rich kid or you're a city kid. When we came back to the village, she would put, you went to the farm, you grew the crops, you put it on your head and went to the market and sold it. And so I mm-hmm. tell people, that's how I became a salesperson because I learned from when I was five, six years old, how to go out there and make a deal happen to go, hey, this is plantain. And my mom, grandmother would ask me to sell it for like, you know, 40 naira. Me being me, I would sell it for 60 naira and Smart. the remaining 20 naira <laughs> and then get into trouble when people finally tell her, you took a price increase on your plantain. And she's like, no, I didn't. It's still 40. And they're like, your, your child sold it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite beautiful. So growing up there, was it was really beautiful. Um, it was really, because I always say it's my formative years because it also forms you to, uh, we're a country of 200 million people. You have to be the best to do anything. Yeah. So you really, you know, it, you're really, you know, shaped. And even like my work ethic, everything came out of there. Um, always, you know, striving to be the best and to be better than you can be every single day. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I heard that you graduated high school at age 15 to get into the cosmetic biz. So that's pretty unusual. That's pretty special. Tell us about that. Yeah. But, but you know, funny thing is that here it is back home. It's, it shows that you're a risk kid, right? But there are so many risk kids. It's like, it's not even a thing, you know, like uh, when in my family, for instance, I come from a highly intellectual family. Like I'm a disappointment to my family because what? I know I didn't progress and get a PhD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's a family where PhDs is like water, like wow. it's like drinking water. Like literally you have that many PhDs. So Nigeria is a society that really values education. They really do. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure on you. Um, you know, all my cousins, when we were younger, they were out there, you know, creating this magnificent scientific project, you know, creating automated machines, creating robots. And I was there just, you know, like knowing how to regurgitate what's in the book. So even though we were like, okay, I got into finish high school really early and all of that, I always felt like a failure. I never felt like 
I was a shining light. I always felt like I was a disappointment, the black sheep, because all my cousins were out there doing amazing things. You know, my uncles were like, you know, head of WHO, like just doing really amazing things. And it was sort of like your parents looking at you go like, don't disappoint us. Like, hmm, you better not disappoint us kind of thing, you know? And so, and so for me, especially when I graduated and did not go ahead to become an engineer, you know, it was, it felt like a failure because obviously I did it just because I had no interest in being an engineer. And, um, um, it was disappointing to my parents because for them, they saw somebody with incredible academic prowess who could have gone on to become another whiskey in the family, another, you know, you know, PhD, another doctor. They love that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, <laughs> another uh, um, intellectual jewel that they can wear. Um, and unfortunately, I disappointed them by trying to go into the arts and and uh, really follow the things I was passionate about. Yeah. I heard that you brought Revlon to Nigeria when you were that young. So how did you do that? Yes. Well, it came from being, you know, like I said, I had followed the academic path. Um, and then um, on the side, I had got into a lot of entertainment. Like I was singing in church, acting and all of that and became a leader. And, you know, really enjoyed that part of me, which was what was creating the conflict in myself in that I was, it's always assumed if you're into the arts and if you're creative, you cannot be academically intellectual. It's the standard. That's sort of how the world has defined it because they're two different sides of your brain. I had this huge problem because I was extremely creative. I was extremely passionate about the arts, but I was also really scientific, like, you know, mathematics. You're supposed to hate maths. I love maths. I love, I did advanced maths. I did further maths, which is why my parents sort of like were guiding more to that engineering pathway that was very mathematical kind of place. And so for me, I got to the point where I deviated from the science and engineering path. And I really wanted to enjoy my arts because, you know, I could do academia, but my heart was in the arts. So I decided to, I went to uni. At first I was studying accounting and then I dropped out and decided, you know what? I want to be a singer. I want to be Beyonce. <laughs> I want to be the next Whitney Houston. Um, and um and so very quickly, I learned music does not pay the bills, right? <laughs> you learn it very quickly, you know, because then I, I left home. I had become a rebel, you know, drop out of school, leave home and go. And I was still a teenager, by the way, uh, living all by myself. My parents could not get me to come back home, but not by any way they tried. They tried every which way they came back. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm like, you know, and back home is established. Once you leave for university, they don't expect you to ever come back home. So, so I did that. And so when I left and I dropped out, I didn't come back home still, even though I was still too young and I should have come back. So I started that and music didn't pay the bills. So I had to do something as a day job. And that was really where I started coming back to what else do I like other than music? And it was, I love beauty. I love cosmetics. And um, at the time there were no cosmetic players in Nigeria officially. We were buying the products, but they weren't there. I mean, People would just go overseas, buy it in their suitcase, bring it back and sell it to you, right? And so I reached out to all the major brands. They all said no. Revlon said yes. And, uh, you know, very long story short, somehow by miracle, I brought them into the country, whereas they have tried for the last decade at that point in time to come in and couldn't because of the regulatory. And they didn't know I was that young. Um, In the end, I ended up selling the distribution um, deal over to somebody who could actually do it. Um, And that was really what um, gave me that taste where I finally saw that there is an intersectionality between academia or being intelligent in a book smart way and being creative. And I found that in beauty because through beauty, you can really channel out like what I do through Oma Beauty right now, where I, I'm the creative director. And literally that means the shoots, the packaging, the copy, everything, you know, I'm, I'm like really in them, but also the ability to go into that academic side and truly be the CEO of my company in terms of everything from the financials, I'm the COO, I'm the secretary, I'm the CFO of the business. And I saw that in beauty, that beauty gave me a path where I could be 
academically intelligent, I could also be street smart, which is what I learned through that whole Revlon deal that, oh my God, I got a hustle. Okay, <laughs> let's take that on. Um, and also having this creative side. And that was my path in beauty and like create entertainment yeah. um, and uh, never looked back. And so before you started Oma Beauty, which was only last year, it's hard to believe, you did work at some other companies. You worked at L'Oreal, LVMH, Benefit. Yes. And from what I understand, you you just saw that something was not right, though. Um, and that had to do with inclusivity yes. or a lack thereof. Can you give us an example or recall a moment? Like what was going on and you just saying this is not OK? Yes. You know, so the first part of my career, I was really focused on breaking the proverbial glass ceiling. I was just honestly just focused on getting a seat on the table because it was so rare that, I mean, every company I worked at, I was the only Black person, period. Mm -hmm. Like there was no other person in sight, right? So it puts that pressure on you. You see every single day, the microaggression, the biases that are thrown your way. So all you do, and as a Nigerian, we just raise to put our head down and do the work. You know, your parents are like, oh, it's not trouble, Lou. Just do the work. Like, don't complain, you know. I mean, look at the revolution going on in Nigeria right now. That is way overdue. That's like 100 years overdue. But because the people, as a people, we're so peaceful. And every, the indoctrination is just literally our parents who just tell you prayer about it. Give Jesus the will. Let Jesus take control kind of thing. Like, don't fight about it. Don't speak up. Like, just put your head down and just get the job done. So, the first part of my career was just that, leaving literally my parents' indoctrination of put your head down, prove to them that you're better. You know, like when people doubt you, when people throw things at you, don't throw back, just smile, take it in the chin and let your actions and your work mm -hmm. show them that you are beyond what they think you are. That was my life for the longest time. And then I turned 30 and then life changed. Um, I turned 30 and all of a sudden I started seeing the world differently. At that point in time, I'd already become an executive. Um, the other thing that changed in my life is, well, I had gone into pharmaceuticals and worked there for a few years. And for the first time, I saw myself working in a business where that was the first time in my life where I was doing things commercially that was making the world a better place. Every other time I was either, you know, I was old school beauty when I started beauty, where we were selling mascaras on false lashes. I mean, up till now, they still do. Most of the mascara campaigns that go out there, it's just at least they declare it in a tiny print. Mm -hmm. We were still using Beyonce's long blonde hair to sell L'Oreal uh, shampoo. Meanwhile, Nothing got long blonde hair, um, you know. So it was such an industry of deception, like just pure lies to consumers and just telling people it was an exclusive industry, you know. For you to be better, you have to be thin. For you to be better, you have to have blonde hair and blue eyes and everything. And then going into snack food with PepsiCo where we were selling people chips, we were literally selling people things that were going to kill them. And then telling them, oh, now we've made it better for you. Mm -hmm. So we've got people now. Um, meanwhile, it's still clogging up your arteries, right? And in pharmaceuticals was the first time I understood what it felt like to go back home and go, I hit my budget today. But in doing that, somebody is in less pain. Somebody who wanted to quit smoking has just quit, you know, we've helped them on that path to quit smoking. Somebody who has, you know, um, um, constipation issues, it was something as small as that, that what I just gave to them made them feel better today. And so I got the taste of that. And when I got the taste of that, I started challenging everything around me to go, how do I do this every single day? You can be profitable. You can go on a commercial path, but also in that path, make the world a better place. And so when I came back into beauty, one, I was older. Two, I had had that experience. So I found that I was very, very dissatisfied. You know, we were launching concealers in three shades. And he's like, are you kidding me? Um, even the ecosystem, the way everything worked was just so exclusive. It was literally beauty was a club for only a white woman 
period. If you were not that, you were on the periphery. I was even in an industry where I'm going like, okay, I am sitting here making you profitable, running your businesses for you. I can't even use your products, literally. I have to lie to the press I'm using your product because I can't use it. Every launch you do, I have to sit it out because it makes me look great. It makes me look dead. All the products are not suitable for me and you don't even give, you don't, you don't care, right? So, so I think for me, that was really the moment. You know, it was frustration. Firstly, with me, I'm turning 30 and starting to, one, reclaim my identity and realize that in my path to break that glass ceiling, the price for that was extreme assimilation. I had to change my accent. I had to change my name. I had to change everything about me. And then coming to that point in time where I think as you grow older, identity becomes more important to you. Whereas when you're younger, mm-hmm. you don't care. You just want to buy the Birkin, right? So you're just like, oh, identity schmill. <laughs> if what it takes me to get that Birkin <laughs> is to change my name, y'all take the name. And you get to this point in life where you start coming to terms with who you are and start to value that even beyond anything else, where you go, take your Birkin, you keep it, but I need to be showered from Nigeria. And that's important to me, you know? And so I think on one hand, it was just a clash of so many things. I was coming into terms to reclaim my identity unapologetically, wearing braids. You know, I wasn't allowed to wear braids for over a decade in corporate life. They said it was ghetto, right? To start challenging things to go, I want to wear braids. I want to be a black woman and be proud to be a black woman without people cringing like, oh my God, you're becoming too black. It's like, no, no, I am black. This is who I am. Um, the part of having a taste about working in an industry where you, I started to feel, you know, such a reward just from knowing that what I was doing was making the world better and making people's lives better. And then on top of that, coupled with just, you know, beauty industry and the the, the lack of just, we didn't care about anybody else who wasn't a white woman. Um, and that didn't sit well with me. So those three things, um, and the, there was a fourth element as well, which is just complete frustration with corporate. Like mm-hmm. I was working companies where when I asked myself, why am I here? The only question, answer I could give myself was to make a French man richer. And that was it. There was no <laughs> other way. It was, it was like, you know, it was oh like my a, God. a cycle of- Best line you know, ever. And I was just like, look, my life right now lacks purpose and I need to go and be myself first. Um, and my journey for Oma Beauty was therapy. It was literally, I, I had my therapy publicly with, with the whole world as I went through that journey. So it was a therapy to reclaim myself. And in doing that, empowering and enabling people that it's okay to be authentic self and you just don't have to take things as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You took the matters into your own hands, as you're saying, and you launched Oma Beauty. And that was really what you were calling an Afropolitan makeup brand in 2019. So tell us what that means and how you took that idea and made it a reality. Yes. You know, so for me, it was very important. Like Oma Beauty, the tenants of that brand was always a home for the misfits, a place where everybody can come and be their authentic self. And in doing that, I have to be my authentic self. I'm an Afropolitan. What does Afropolitan mean? It means that I'm of Afro origin. But the reason I use the word Afropolitan is when you say Africa, people think about a location, right? They think about Africa, the continent. What they don't think about is everything that's Africa in the diaspora because of the forced separation of the African people, right? We have a very unique experience. And because of this forced separation, sometimes it's one of the biggest tools that has been used to keep the Black community oppressed has been division. Because it's been, oh, you're the wrong type of Black. You're African-American. You're an African. You're an African-Caribbean. You're an Afro-British. You were, you know, so it's all, at the end of the day, we're, we're all Africans, right? That, that's it. But like, we were all from different tribes in Africa that were separated either forcefully via um, slavery yeah. or forced migration, right? Uh, because of the situation that colonization put in the continent. And so I wanted to create a home where we could unify 
everything that comes from my culture on the one banner, regardless of the current influence. And through this, we really celebrate it. So when I talk about like one of the things we do in this brand is mix and remix, because the Afro culture, that's what's beautiful about it. It started in Africa, even through all the hardships of the forced separation, it's evolved and almost reinvented itself in different forms, you know, in kind of like, you know, what you call like a Black American kind of culture versus an African culture versus uh, Afro-Caribbean culture. But through all of them, it still feeds back into this motherland and it still feeds back through this kind of culture that when you look at it, regardless of what it's formed, it is still steeped in rhythm, it is still steeped in color, it is still steeped in expression. And those were all the elements I wanted to bring into Ama Beauty and share with the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was about having a shared culture, not an appropriated culture, which is what happens to us usually. It's like our culture is taken away from us, repackaged and sold to us in premium. So this time it was going, no, we're going to own this, own this, own it in a unified form and invite people to respectfully share in this culture. And through that, inspire them to be their authentic selves. And that's the, 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 the complexity of Oma Beauty that a lot of people told me at the start, well, what? They were like, it's too complex because you're in this intellectual zone and you're talking to yourself. How can you on one vein say a brand is inclusive and then it's an Afropolitan brand and you're so proudly Black? How do those things go together? And I'm like, they do. And it was amazing launching and the customers were like, I get it. Um, so I'm like, there you go. The customers understand that it is possible to be proud of your roots, to be proud of your heritage, and yet still be a global citizen. And that's what Amazing. the idea of being Afropolitan is. Okay. And you did not start small. <laughs> you launched with 108 SKUs and uh, your best-selling foundation, 51 Shades. When you launched, WWD wrote about your new line. The headline was Foundation for a Post-Fenty World. So when you were formulating behind the scenes, like, was that in your mind or how did you create a unique formula? Because I know your foundation is very different. Yes. So for me, I didn't start with product in this brand. Everything that I did starts with the brand and the message, right? And what once again, one of the real cool things about us that was also controversial about us is the idea that we don't, we celebrate differences. That we in this brand, we actually say we are different. Mm-hmm. We're not a brand that says, oh, the whole world we're the same, kumbaya, hold hands, whatever. We come in and go like, I'm black, you're Asian, you're a white woman, la, 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 la. So it's confronting in terms of a lot of the ideas that has been sold, right? So we say we're different. For me, being different is not the problem of the world. It's the fact that we cannot accept our differences. That's what the problem is, right? And so the first tenet of this brand is we're different. We're all different people, right? And we start from there and then we find what makes us the same and come together. And that's what went into formulating. It wasn't about, I want to create 51 shades. It was, it started with, we're so different. We're so different. What white skin needs is completely different to what brown skin needs, let alone even darker brown skin. You know, so you can literally see commonalities in terms of skin needs just by the skin color. It's been proven. The Fitzpatrick scale has been there forever. Everybody uses it in formulating. But nobody thinks about it in that context because everybody's too busy being politically correct. We're all the same. We got no, no, no. So first thing for us is we're not the same. You know what your skin needs is completely different to my skin. So how do I fix that? Why do we still make foundations that is one formula for everybody? So then people are unhappy with it because what it does it just compromises. And so that's why a lot of the products in the market only caters, even though in their different shades, the formulas still don't work on certain skin types. So you look at even when Fenty launched, right? with the Pro Filter Soft Matte Foundation, Black women were like, yay, this is game-changing. White women were scared to even talk because they were like, I don't want to sound racist, but this doesn't work for me. Why? It was too dry. Yeah. <laughs> it was so dry. <laughs> because 
on dark skin, um, we tend to have oily to combination skin. As the skin gets fairer, it becomes more dry to combination skin. Mm-hmm. So when you take that level of matte foundation and put on it, it was cracking into people's lines, mm-hmm. you know? And so white women didn't know how to sort of say like, because everyone's like, oh, it's so inclusive. They're like, yeah, it's inclusive. I don't like it, you know? <laughs> and so and so now, Fenty had to mm-hmm. go reformulate another 50 shade foundation range Essentially to suit white women, because the original one, it was just not workable or on, on fair skin. And so this is what we have. Everybody can't agree on what's a great foundation because you just can't. It doesn't make sense. And so what we did, we created six different formulas for the six different skin types um, and then customized them for the unique needs, both in the skincare ingredients, both in the finish, both in reducing even things like that, titanium dioxide to make sure that each one is liberally already considered for your skin type. And so when that hit the market, everyone was like, oh my God, this is genius. This game changes never been done before. I'm like, but it's so simple though. Like, it's like you know, like <laughs> there's so much common sense flying at us right now, Sharon. I, I it's it's uh <laughs> I don't know, my jaw's on the floor, but it is it is common sense. It's so true. Up till now, people have just been hesitant to look at the world and enjoy the diversity and instead has been trying to colonize Mm. the world into this shade of beige that is the acceptable standard whilst we don't quote unquote see color. Hi there. And now a message from one of our show sponsors, Dairy Farmers of Ontario. So you know how there's a coffee break, high tea, 420. Isn't it about time that milk got its own designated break too? I like mine right around 3 p.m. when that sweets craving hits. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that we've been challenged to talk about all 15 nutrients packed inside every glass of cold, delicious dairy milk in the length of this ad. Last time I did it in a wrap. And this time, well, since we are taking a break, I'm going to list them while doing yoga. You can even join me. So let's begin with a nice deep breath, moving right into calcium, activating strong bones and teeth, transitioning into protein, powering up those muscles. Let's gently settle into vitamin D. That's it. Focusing on strong bones and teeth. Now sliding gently into magnesium. Let's just hold here for a moment for healthy bones, really tapping into your thiamine and niacin. These really help normal growth blossom. Now reaching all the way up to vitamin A, really leaning into that healthy skin intention. Can you go a bit further? Just being present, being in the moment with potassium, that's really going to help access that muscle function. Nice controlled breathing with pantothenic acid, easing into your energy metabolism. Sometimes we forget that riboflavin helps unlock your energy metabolism as well. Or you can always tap into vitamin B6 if that's more comfortable for your body's energy metabolism. We're going to close with a few seconds on phosphorus, helping to maintain healthy teeth before cooling right down into vitamin B12. Feel that red blood cell formation. Selenium. I invite you to relieve the body from any oxidative stress. Thank you very much for helping to maintain our healthy skin together today. Learn more about Milk's nutrients at whatcantmilkdo.ca because really, what can't milk do? And then in early June of this year, I mean, we can't, we can't talk to you without talking about the Pull Up or Shut Up initiative. It just sent shockwaves through the beauty industry and other industries as well. Even, you know, tech companies like Apple started pulling up. So we're several months in. We're almost six months in now. 
Do you think it has made a difference and is still making a difference moving forward? I think the world's, it was like opening Pandora's box, right? The world's never going to be the same. You know, I don't think there's a pathway forward now where beauty brands are not disclosing publicly diversity reports, right? I think this will now just be a standard to which people work, uh, which allows that transparency and accountability allows people to continue to continue this conversation because that was the thing, right? In June, everybody, oh, Black Lives Matter. Now we're in October, it's like, mal, mal, right? Mm -hmm. But as a corporate citizen now, we've started this conversation, we're going nowhere, we're going to keep it up. And so I think it's never going to go back. And what this has done as well, to be honest, there were many companies that just didn't even think about this. Let's face it, it's not like a lot of companies sat down and had a conspiracy theory that's not hire Black people or whatever. They just weren't looking at it. It just was not priority. It just wasn't focused. Um, and now it is. Now it's a focus. Now it's a priority. Now it's something that they're all scrambling to sort of try and fix. So I think there is no going back. There is no going back. It's opened up something that cannot be closed. It started a conversation that didn't even exist in the public sphere um, six, seven months ago. And now it's, it's, it, I'm seeing consumers constantly comment, oh, I would have loved to buy this, but I just saw the pull-up numbers, so I'm not touching it, mm -hmm. right? So it started something that can't be undone. And I think that um, where things are now, it's really the consumers, it's really the employees, because a lot of this movement was driven by the employees within these companies going, we demand better, you know? And even now, what this movement has done is not only equity in terms of people purchasing, it's even in employers people want to work for. We have people who left companies as a result of this going like, I cannot be part of this company anymore, you know, because, you know, it's some yeah. people were sitting there, they had never processed that I work in a company with zero black person, right? You know, how does that even work? And how can this be an accident, you know? So I think that's the beauty of what this is. And that's why it was beautiful that it was out there. The movement was a movement of the people, not sharing. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that they continue to keep alive. And like I said, the beauty industry will never be the same in terms of going back to a world where diversity reporting doesn't become just part of what we do now. Yeah. All about that transparency. And mm -hmm. like, just, it's been this whole reckoning. I think people, you're right. People are just waking up. They're like, exactly. whoa, I've never thought of this before. And how come I've never thought of this before? And so I really give you so many kudos for just exactly. like shedding light on that and that it's taken on this like total life of its own, which is amazing. Sharon, we were, we were asked an interesting question recently, and I'm curious what your take would be. So people asked us, why do you think beauty in particular has become such a big arena for the Black Lives Matter conversation? conversation to play out versus other industries like decor, food, like we just felt like beauty just exploded. Yes. Um, I think, you know, there's two reasons for beauty. One, beauty is a branded business. It is a business of equity and brand equity. At the end of the day, have the formulas are the exact same, right? We know that in the industry. They all shop from the same factories, right? It's the same formula, just repackaged and branded differently. So essentially, when you're buying a product from Maybelline versus a product from Lancome, a lot of times you're buying the exact same product. The only thing you're buying different while you're paying that premium is the brand and the experience of what it says about you because we know that people not only buy brands because of what the brand says, but what the brand says about them. So that's why beauty, for beauty, brand is everything. And when you attack that brand, which is what Pull Up or Shut Up did, it attacks that brand equity it's, it's a big problem because that's all they trade on. It's an industry that trades a food company. People are going to eat food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't eat food. They're not going to not eat food just because you didn't hire black people. They're going to begrudgingly eat it, but still go out. And, um, yes. Like, you know, Goya, right? Where everyone was so mad that he went to Trump. I'm sure by now the sales has bounced back, right? Because at the end of the day, you need it. You need it. You go, want that spice, you're going to have to still reach out for it. You like the taste. Beauty is an industry where, who, how many, wh why do you need another red lipstick? Right. You, you don't need one. You're just buying it because you want one. Right. It's a want industry. And I think 
It's a one industry built on brand equity and built on the perception. It's a very hype industry. It's also an industry where the consumers, especially in prestige beauty, are very engaged. You know, the prestige beauty shopper are like the entertainment fan. You know, they are very dedicated into this because they're truly passionate about this. And I think that is one of the reasons why it hit beauty so hard, because this was something that was coming and punching against a brand equity in a way. So beauty is a, it, that industry where the sales relies purely on that equity. And when you challenge that equity, they have to move. And the second part of it was, especially for us as a pull up for change movement, the beauty influencers really came in and co-signed it. And that was very important because a lot of the beauty marketing is done by influencer. Influencer marketing is huge. So when influencers come up and they start speaking up, people follow. It's an industry that literally is influencer-led. Like if influencers say boycott, that brand sells tanks instantly. So it was a real threat to the dollar because one, it was threatening the equity and the voices and every day new influencer was coming out saying, you better do it. You be-. So they knew it wasn't going away. It was just going to get bigger and bigger. Beauty industry loves a good drama. This was drama right there. They knew it. Like they were like, nah, this has to make it to just become, if we ignore it, it's going to get bigger and bigger and become even more drama because the beauty industry loves a good drama. Is there one brand that surprised you that's kind of over the past six months, like, you know, pulled up and like improved or is doing a good job at allyship rather than performative? There are quite a few brands. Like I would say, you know, I, one of the brands I was actually impressed with was Biosense, right? Because, you know, not only did they pull up originally, they voluntarily 90 days later gave an update on their social page. That was received so well. When we posted it on our page, people were literally going and following Biosense. I want to buy this product. Not because they said anything that was, you know, crazy, but because they voluntarily just continued updating yeah. people. That's something no other company has done, mm. you know, uh, because they're waiting. I'm sure they're all waiting for Black History Month to actually update people. So it's true. <laughs> like, it's going to be like, oh, oh, it's going to be Black History Month. You're going to see this conversation come back up. So just wait, wait for it. Put mark your calendar. February 2021, you're going to start hearing about Club. So my diversity numbers are, you know, yeah. so that's what we're going to see. So, so like I said, Biosense have done it really well in terms of really voluntarily keeping their customers up to date and going, hey, here's where we're going. Um, Lush got really slammed at, at the start. They did the same thing after 90 days. They probably gathered their data, released it and released an action plan, you know. So, so I really commend brands because sometimes it's not about, it's easy to just run out and start hiring people or whatever when you actually do, doing the work and you're keeping people updated because it shows that it's still top of mind yeah. in your company as opposed to a, another point in time you've marked on the calendar mm-hmm. to come back to this. And there's actually strategy behind what they're doing. Yeah. So when they're, when they're doing that, that's great. Exactly, exactly. We really want to touch on, recently you've been shedding a lot of light on the uprising in Nigeria to end police brutality, specifically for the disbanding of SARS, which is the special anti-robbery squad. So... Tell us maybe why this is happening now and what our listeners can do to help spread awareness about this. Yes, I think, you know, um, the NSAS movement is one that personally I'm very proud of as a Nigerian, as a young Nigerian, because this has been, I would say, 460 years in the making, right? Because we went straight from a colonial kind of rule to 60 years ago getting a quote-unquote independence, but they handed power over to the puppets, right? And so these people have been as oppressive, you know, they are the same people, like power has been going around literally the same individuals, not even they masking it that, okay, my child now takes over. No, no. The same person who was a military dictator then comes back in again now as a civilian president. And, you know, I think as Nigerians, like I said, we, we're people who just learned to just suffer and smile, as Fela Kuti would say, suffering and smiling. 
that's what we've learned how to do. So we never speak up. We never speak up that the, the healthcare there is really poor. We never speak up that roads, only the elite enjoy good roads and everybody else can suffer and die. Um, that even right now, COVID supplies, the international community sent all these supplies for the poor in Nigeria. They never got it. It was right now they're uncovering different warehouses where this food was parked. This is the backdrop to what all of this is happening. SARS in particular is a special um, unit that was set up um, to combat kidnapping and robberies. But these guys started there. Uh, and once again, this, I mean, imagine a government that just gives police. Police in Nigeria have a license to kill, by the way. People don't, don't understand that. They have a license to kill. Even up to today, the law is as which that even they made a few adjustments um, to criminalize human rights abuse only in 2017. After, I mean, this SARS protest has been happening for many years now in different iterations, and they'll make a tiny tweak to make people happy, go back home, and then they'll move on again. In Nigeria, for instance, a police officer can use lethal force to make any arrest. If that arrest has a penalty, they're convicted of seven years and above. Now, in Nigeria, homosexuality is a crime. Penalty is 14 years in jail. So it means a police officer can come in to arrest a gay man and because he tried to run away, shoot him and kill him instantly. And that's legal, right? These people even went beyond that and started attacking anybody. You know, if you're a young girl like me with blonde hair and tattoos, oh, I'm done. Because instantly they're like, you're prostitutes. And then they just attack you. They beat you. They rape you because you're a prostitute. You deserve to be raped. And so the brutality just got out of hand. It almost became criminal in Nigeria to be young and successful. And that, that is what really triggered this protest. And now um, the good thing is this protest is beyond that because this protest has started something that has shown people we deserve better. We deserve better leadership. We shouldn't be suffering. We're a very wealthy country. I mean, we're one of the leading oil suppliers in the world. We should be a first world country, not a third world country. And we've been here because we just have really unintelligent, greedy people who hate themselves and as such put that back on their own people and are only loyal to this kind of colonial structure. And because it benefits the whole world for Nigeria to be the way it is right now, which is why you see the international community not speaking up. And what your viewers and your listeners can do is continue to speak up because the UN are not speaking up. The African Union are not speaking up. The economic community of West African states are not speaking up. All of the bodies that shoot are not. Why? Because they all benefit from this, you know? So um, this is a fight that you know, sometimes it gets sad because you know you're alone. You know, there is no reinforcement coming. And the reinforcement is liberty from just everyday people and just continue to speak up, continue to put that pressure, um, you know, sign petitions. There are petitions out there that is calling for sanctions, not sanctions on the whole country, because obviously that just punishes innocent people again. Um, it's sanctions on the leaders, you know, pressure on the leaders. So this is really big. And I think Finally, our generation are realizing help is not coming from anywhere. If we want change, we have to do it ourselves. And I thank all the allies who are not Nigerians who are so um, concerned about this. But what you can do is continue to spread awareness because even right now, the media stations back home are being fined for, for carrying this news. Um, the international media are being muted because the government are coming out and saying it's propaganda, it's social media, anarchy and whatever. Um, Facebook and the, the platforms that we've been trying to spread this message on are not on our side either. So so it's a, it's a really tough battle that we're fighting here. Yeah. Well, thank you for all you're doing. And I just think that shows the power of social media to get the word out there about these really important causes. And we will link to some of those on our blog, some of those action items that you mentioned. So, uh, Carlene, do you want to ask the next question? You're absolutely fearless and you are doing so much. You could honestly be working on OMA full-time. I mean, activism full-time. What are you working on now that is behind the scenes, you know, that's coming up? Maybe it's the next phase of Pull Up for Change or something to do with OMA. I could see you getting into politics. What what can you reveal 
documentary Netflix series. Yeah. <laughs> What's bubbling? <laughs> I love it. No, we're working on a lot, you know, and most of the things, you know, for me, um, even over these last few months, there's a lot of things that have been put on my plate that I just turned down because for me, a lot of things is not a commercial thing for me. This is about the true heart of what I do. It's the same thing we do pull up for change and a lot of people want to become corporate patrons and give you money or whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to become your puppet because that that's what happens, right? You exchange hands and then next thing you know, you're, you answer to somebody. So we've been working on a lot of really cool initiatives behind the scene for pull up for change some that are going to launch uh, for Black History Month, but just really trying to um, become a resource, you know, and do more than we're doing right now. So there's been a lot of work. There's been a lot of work even in rebranding. And because we sort of went out there, you know, I mean, I thought about this was out there within 48 hours. So now it's been a lot of work to actually legitimize and just get everything, the foundations working so that we can have something that is sustainable beyond just a social media moment because, you know, the social media and all of that is just a fraction of what the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So we continue to do that work behind the scene, of course, with our beauty. Next year, we are expanding globally. We're coming into new markets. So that's very exciting. We're bringing in new products um, and we're doing something really, really crazy um, in April. So oh. so there's something to watch out for in April that's really changing again. Like uh, it's really insane. Um, and then, of course, you know, even in, in Nigeria, I'm, I'm very active there, you know, pulling together um, leaders, you know, to to really strategize, you know, about what's next and how we actually deliver um, long-term change in that front. So yes, I am a very busy woman um, in that regard. And next year, you know, I'm, um, I'm bringing more senior leadership into my business to allow me to take a bit more of a step back because right now, like I said, I'm the CEO, CFO, COO, see everything. And so I'm trying to continue so that I continue to be be involved, you know, in the branding, the messaging, the marketing, but I don't have to be sitting on supply chain every single day and things like that. So, so, uh, so for me, it's starting to free up some time to allow me to do a good job in all of these other pieces. Um, politics is not in my future because I'm not a politician. Um, I always joke with people, I'm like, I'm a warrior, not a diplomat. Um, so, uh, so I'm not the best paper pusher. I'm not the best politician, you know, with that, you know, you see me, I call things as they are and in politics, the way I would probably be a politician of the future, but not a politician of today, where they all sit down having the same conversation in circle with no action. And they contend to do that for years. I will, I will literally just explode. I cannot (laughs) do that. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. You know, oh, you're a Democrat, but that thing the Republican said makes sense. I'm going to back it because that makes sense. Oh, but you can't, Mm -hmm. it's party lines. Who cares if it's party lines? You have to be in service to the people. And that's where politics around the world has lost its way. That's where Mm -hmm. democracy around the world is failing because uh, we need to find a better structure than these party systems because in human nature, everything has become political. There is no country that's got their shit together right now because we've all followed these blueprints that human nature has taken over and it's just not working and nobody wants to acknowledge that. So I think I'm the politician of the future when politics has redone itself and it's now where, you know, you can be in a political system, but actually get things done that is right for the people. Amazing. Those are, and this, mm-hmm. this episode, your episode is actually dropping the day after the U.S. election. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think those words are good, good to end on. And our last question, if someone out there, out there is listening, maybe they have a dream, but they don't really have the confidence to go after it, or they're a bit more shy. Like how can they tap into like the big Sharon energy? <laughs> yes, you know, uh, the Big Shine Energy took years to get the confidence to to like be myself, right? Uh, but I think it all starts with purpose. Everybody has to figure out what, what you're here for and what your purpose is. 
And for me, the second I figured that out was when I could tap into the Sharon energy because I realized what I wanted from the world. You know, I knew that my purpose was to be in service of the world, was to speak the same things that made people not like me when I was younger, was actually the thing that was my purpose, to be able to have conversations people are not ready to and not to care about whether I'm liked or not. You know, like doing something like Pull Up for Change where I'm literally stood up against the industry to which I operate. You know, there's nothing that can make you a prior more than that, right? But not caring because it's the right thing to do. Um, so I think that's the first thing people have to figure out because it starts giving you a compass. If your thing in life is, I just want to be the richest person in the world, your compass is completely different in terms of how you step into that and how you do that and your morals and the lines that you can draw and not draw. You know, and I, so I think the first thing anybody has to do is figure out that bigger picture, the why, you know, your reason better, you know, why do you exist? What is that thing? And immediately you figure that out. Everything else lays itself out for you. Whoa. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Sharon. We could, we could talk to you forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been really wonderful and we will be fall. You're just getting started. I mean, honestly, and we're going to be following your journey and we can't wait to share your story with our listeners. Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday.